You know, I think we make New Year's resolutions because um, there is within each one of us this sense that we could be more. This sense that we could be a different person. I don't know, this sense that we could be better. This uh, sense drives us. I think this sense drives us in a lot of, in a lot of ways. Um, after all, as, as you see, uh, the part-time barista, part-time PE teacher, full-time life coach. It's a big industry, isn't it? And, uh, and so I thought about that, and I thought, geez, what, what keeps us from being the people that we really want to be? What keeps you and me from being who we want to be? What keeps us? Why, why, do, why do 92% of the resolutions fail? I thought we'd talk about that this morning. Because I wonder if so much of it has to do with that we are trapped, we are imprisoned by what has happened to us in our life. That uh, you and I have all faced things in our life, both good and bad, and they, they have brought us to, to the point where we are now. Uh, they have made us, in many ways, who we are, for better or for worse. But I wonder if there is such a temptation uh, to stay stuck in our past. So I want to talk about that this morning. I want to talk about that and, and maybe suggest that, that a major New Year's resolution that you and I can make is to leave our past behind. You see, our past has a powerful influence over us, doesn't it? Every day we are probably reminded of, of our past. We are reminded of the things that we have done and the things we have left undone. Any of us who have uh, physical scars, as, as some of you probably have noticed that I have, one right here, my beard doesn't quite cover it. It, it came from when I was four, and my grandmother owned a small retail store. It was, it, it, and, and, and one day, my, I, I must have been four or five, because I feel like I was chasing my younger brother. I don't know why I remember that. We were running around the store, and she had in her store as kind of a display, and one of those old wooden school desks, you know, the kind with the desk attached to it. Some of you, you had those when you went to school, right? Um, and, and I ran smack into the corner of it and tore my face open. And I remember, still to this day, this is, this is, I hadn't thought about it until this morning, actually, about this, that I remember putting my hand up to it. I think it might have been, I can't remember which side it is now, it's so funny. I put my hand up to it, and I remember pulling it back, and my little hand was totally covered in blood, and I knew something was wrong. Six stitches later, I still have the scar almost 30 years after. There you go. And whenever I look at it, I remember that it happened. You know, for many of us, though, our, our scars are inside, your scars aren't on your face or on your hand or arms. They're in your heart, in your spirit. Uh, they're the reminders every day. They're the guilt you carry with you. They're that sense that uh, you'll never be any better. You know, maybe your past uh, is really good. You know, maybe, maybe you feel like, you know, gosh, I used to be somebody. Maybe, maybe you, you, you know, especially, and this happens with a lot of men, 
um, and I am guilty of it. I come from a long line of men that are guilty of this. Uh, that, that men, you define yourself by your career, and then, then your career is over, and maybe you retired, maybe you got laid off, I don't know, and your career is over, and you wonder, you know, who, who am I now? And you want to live in the past. Uh, I, this week, I, <laughs> I, was, I always tell people that, um, how I, if people ask, how do you prepare for your sermons? I said, you know, I feel like God does a lot of the heavy lifting. People don't believe me when I say that, but it's true. Uh, God always puts ways that I can live my sermons before I preach them to you. It helps me to kind of get into them. Uh, and I thought about that because this week I felt like I was on the tour of my past. Have you ever had weeks like that? Christmas is good for weeks like that, right? Um, this week I was at home for, for, from, from Monday morning through Thursday afternoon in Ohio with my family. And it's so interesting to be back in the place. I haven't lived since I was 21 years old. Uh, back in the same places and now it's all changed. Um, but to be home and to be with people who remember me uh, more from when I was 14 than now at 31. I remember on Thursday on my way back, I, uh, I had received word that a dear member of my former congregation that I served before I came to be with you uh, was in the hospital. She's been diagnosed with cancer and her treatment, as happens often, has left some severe complications. And she was in the hospital over the Christmas holiday. This was a woman who, uh, was, who, we, who, we, who I led to Christ uh, during, when, I was, when I served in northern Kentucky, and, and we, we discipled her, and she's grown immensely in faith from having very little faith to now being a, a person of uh, tremendous commitment to our Lord. And I just felt that it would be good for me to stop and to visit. I talked to the new pastor there, the pastor who followed me, and he said it would be great. He appreciated me going, and I went and I visited with her for an hour. Um, and, uh, and, it, it, and we talked about old times and the people we knew and how she was doing, not as, didn't visit as a pastor, but as her friend. Then I found out another member of the church was in there who was also in a difficult health situation, and I went down and visited her, and I visited an hour with her. It was like going back to the past. Last night I was in Louisville. I went to uh, the church that uh, sent me into the ministry in Louisville, and they have an annual music, uh, after Christmas music called the Boar's Head Festival. Some of you I know in this church have been there in Louisville. Uh, that, that, that church sent me into the ministry, and I was there, and I got to sit in the room and hear the great choir that I'd listened to when I was after college and see people I knew and friends of mine. You know, it was like the past. And, and, and there's such a temptation when you go through that. Isn't there a temptation to sometimes think the past was just so wonderful? Some of you who've moved here, maybe you get to go back to where you lived before you came here, and you're there and you're there, and it feels like home, and, and, and you want to go back. But you know, do you have that feeling sometimes when you're in the past, that feeling that I had this week, that it was like clothes that don't fit anymore? That you go and things seem to have changed, and you've changed maybe, and uh, you want to go back to the past and it leaves you in this sense of um, unsettledness. This sense that you are not quite where you need to be. You see, there's such a temptation to live in the past and it's like wearing clothes that don't fit. We're living in the past, it seems appealing at first, but what you find is that uh, it brings up all these feelings of regret. And in some ways, as long as we live in the past, we can't move forward into the future. And so you may say, well, that sounds great. What does that have to do with the Bible and what we read today? 
So I thought I'd take a look at that. And I thought I was reading the book of Galatians and reading here in the story uh, 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 that Paul is telling them. And what he's, ta- he's talking to a group of people that in Galatia, this is one of the earliest letters Paul wrote. He probably wrote it within 15 years of Christ's resurrection, probably somewhere around the year 50 A.D., and it's to a group of people that he went and he, he preached the word to them. In fact, he says he publicly exposed Christ crucified. And what he finds is he says that Christ crucified, it makes all the difference in your life and mine. And, and then what happens there is after he leaves, there are some other missionaries who come and they say, well, wait, you've got to go back to the past. You've got to go back to the law You've got to go back to the way things were. And Paul comes and he says, Folks, that is in the past. Now I've got to be really careful when we talk about law and gospel. Those are two major words in the entire Bible. Law and gospel. Now sometimes we take it very... Um, Sometimes we take it to two extremes, and one extreme is the extreme that many of these missionaries that Paul is writing against said is, you know, law brings us to gospel, and then gospel brings us back to the law. Paul says, no, that's not how it works. Now, some go the other way and say there is law, and then gospel cancels out the law. And that's not how it works either. So it's difficult. It's, com- it's, 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 it's hard to work through. But what we find here is very, it is very much the point that the law prepares us and prepared indeed all humanity for the need and the coming of Jesus. Now it's funny, when you see the word law, what do you think of? If I were to talk about the long arm of the law... You think about that for a minute. You know, you talk about calling the law. The law, when you hear it in the Bible, is, is that sense, in so many ways, that we have to live by how good we are. And if you think about that, how many of us live by the law? That we want to prove that we are good enough, that we are faithful enough, that we are giving enough, that we are, 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 we, we, we are enough New Year's resolutions are so often all about law. They're about trying to make ourselves right. But what we find is, is, when, is, is uh, that the law is good, the law is holy. The law is not wrong, the law is right. If we look at the law in the Bible, and it begins with the very first call of Abraham in Genesis 12, it begins very simple. The law says this, I will be your God and you will be my people. As we find God rebuilds his people in the book of Exodus in chapter 20, we have those great ten commandments that are the foundation of law, to love God and to love our neighbors as ourselves. As I said, the law is not bad. But have you ever read the Old Testament and you've gotten a little frustrated? Yes, the answer is yes. Just in case you're curious, I know it's a little earlier than some of you, than usual for some of you, but the answer is yes. And it becomes frustrating, one, because you get to the book of Leviticus. That's just me. Um, but it also becomes frustrating if you do make it through, that you see the story of a people who turn to God and then it seems like they turn away again. 
You notice that? Then they come back to God. And then they turn back again. Then they go back to God. Then they go back again. Do, do you get the point? Do you ever feel your life is like that, by the way? Two steps forward and one step back. Then one step forward and what? Two steps back. Okay, you're tracking with me. And that's life under the law. The law is this standard of God's holiness we're never able to reach. And so what does God do? God said at the right, Paul says, at the right moment, God does not leave us hopeless with the standards of the past. This is a Christmas message, by the way. Why is it? He says, but now faith has come. You see, faith, is, faith can be turned into another work that we do. But what Paul is saying here is in the fullness of time, when we were struggling, when we had this, I love this term, disciplinarian. It's from a Greek word that has about a million translations. It, it, it's a, it's a, the word pedagogos in the Greek, it simply means someone, a slave, that a rich family hires to keep its sons out of trouble. Some of you who had sons, you wish you had one of those. Like they followed him around, they took him to school, they brought him home, they followed him wherever they went to make sure they stayed out of trouble. And Paul says that's what the law is like. But he says, but there comes a point where you can't have your, you can't get, some, you know, you, your kid gets too old to have someone babysitting him, right? Every, all of you are parents, you got to the point where, where, where your kids didn't have to have a babysitter anymore. And what Paul is saying is that in, in the history of salvation, the history of you and me, there came a point at which God said, it is not enough for the people to be watched. The people need to be made right. They need to be justified. And so that's where Jesus comes. He says, Jesus comes down to us why? So that we might be made right with God. You see, God came in Jesus, not, not, not as God floating, hovering over the earth, but as God human. God as a little baby like we have in our nativity scene, removable from the manger. God as a baby, born of a woman, Born under the law. Now Paul reminds us elsewhere that Jesus is, 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 rather the author of Hebrews reminds us that Jesus is like us in every way but does not sin. But yet Paul reminds us Jesus is born under the law. Jesus was born into that system where we can only be as good. He lived under the burden of performance. The burden of doing things the right way. And though he did not fail, though he did not sin, Paul reminds us just earlier in chapter 3 that by being hanged on the cross, he suffered the curse of the law. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So you see what happens there is when Jesus comes and when he is born and when he is betrayed and beaten and nailed to that cross, 
all the burdens of the law, all the burdens of performance, all the burdens of being good enough fall on his shoulders and not on ours. And so the good news is that as Jesus comes and as he has died, that our sins and the curse of the law that belongs to us, he has taken it into his hand. And we are redeemed. Those under the law, Paul says, are redeemed. That means we are bought back. We are paid for. And in this case, God paid for us with his own son. But why did he do it? Pay attention in verse 5. It says, so that we might receive adoption as children. You see, it has been God's plan all the time. Paul is not saying that God changed his mind or changed his plan throughout history. Instead, we have been prepared for this moment where Christ has come to restore and redeem us in the midst of where we are. And so the thing about our past and the thing about living in our past and living with our performance and all our anxieties is is that we are never certain. We are never comfortable with where we are. We are always pushed and driven. And and maybe that's a good thing sometimes, but I think what it does is it leaves us anxious and, and frustrated and broken. And in the midst of that, God, in the fullness of time, sent Jesus that our past can be left behind. You know, this week I was watching an old movie version of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. How many of you have ever seen it? You've heard it? Of course you have. It's the, the most famous or second most famous Christmas story of all time, right? That and It's a Wonderful Life, which I found out from our fifth graders, very few of them knew, so we gotta get on that. Great movie. But at Christmas Carol, how many of you remember Ebenezer Scrooge? He is this very difficult man. He lives under this burden of having to do things right, and it has shriveled his soul. You remember that? And you know, he's visited by three ghosts, but do you remember who visits him first? His late partner, Jacob Marley. Do you remember what's interesting about Marley? Is he comes and he is bound in chains. But you know, I noticed something this week I'd never noticed before. Do you know what those chains were made of? Remember, they were accountants. They were made of ledger books and counting drawers. You see, his past and his failings had been hanging on him, and what he pulled around was his past. And the good news this Christmas and this new year is you and I don't have to pull around our past anymore. You and I this year can move forward in 2018 letting go because God has has set us free from the chains that bind us. You know, earlier this week when I said what I was going to do, I said, you know, we leave our past behind and this person, this wonderful person in our church said, yes, because that's what God does. You see, your past, you hold on to it, but in Jesus, God has let your past go. And so how can we? 
You know, there's an old preacher story. It's probably not true, but that doesn't stop us from telling them. Fair enough, right? It's probably not true. Maybe it is, who knows? It's a story of, of a woman who uh, believed that, uh, that she spoke to Jesus, just like you and I might speak to one another. She spoke to Jesus, and, and uh, she was Roman Catholic, and, and, and her priest, uh, who was kind of a troubled soul, um, he just didn't believe that. And so he came and he, he questioned her, that how could it be that you could talk directly to Jesus? And one thing about this priest is this priest was really struggling because he had had some sin that he had committed many decades before when he was in seminary. And it weighed him down in his life. It weighed him down for decades. And now on the verge of retirement age, he was still weighed down by this sin that he had committed. And so one day when he was talking to this woman, he said, well now if you really talk to Jesus, ask him, would you next time you talk, what was the sin I committed when I was in seminary? And if you can tell me, I've never told a single person this, I'll believe you. And the woman said, okay, I'll tell, I'll talk, we'll talk about it with him next time I talk to him. And a week went by and she came back and the old priest asked the woman, said, did you talk to Jesus? Yes, I did. Did you ask him what my sin was? She said, I certainly did. Did he respond? Yes, she did. Yes, he did. And what did Jesus say? She said, Jesus said, I forgot. Jesus said, I forgot. And so folks, no matter where you are in your past, remember that it doesn't have to define you. That today you and I can move forward into 2018 not held back by both the good and the bad that we have done but facing forward into what God is doing in Jesus Christ fully realizing what God has done in our life and will continue to do. And so in a moment, we're going to have a time uh, to respond. And this morning, uh, maybe some of you have noticed at the front of each of the pews where you normally come up for communion, on the end, on the end, and two here in the middle, there are baskets. And in those baskets, uh, there are little black stones like this. And there's, I think, enough in here for everyone here. If you'd like to come, I'm going to invite you. Karen's going to come up in a moment and play. And when she plays, I'm just going to invite you to come to take one of these stones out of the basket. Come to this altar and to pray about what's that thing that's holding you back? What's that thing in your past that is keeping you from the life that God wants from you? What I'm going to ask you to do in a moment is to come to this altar rail and to offer that thing to God and then leave it at the altar rail. You know, for some of you, it's, it's a, there's some big things. And I don't want to trivialize or minimize many of you in here who have suffered very real struggles and difficulties in life. But I beg you and plead you by the mercy of God that maybe today is the day that God is saying, give them to me. Put them on my shoulders so that maybe in 2018 you might be set free. So in a moment we're going to pray. Then these altars are going to be open. I'm going to invite you to come, leave them, pray, and say, God, what would you have me leave behind in 2017 that I can live 
where you want me to go in 2018. Let us pray.